Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Welcome back to the Fallout Lorecast. It has only been a week since we got the trailer for the Fallout TV show. And the internet is still buzzing about it. Everyone's still talking about it. There's a lot of debate about how this will or won't fit into the lore correctly. How certain characters like the Cyclops looking overseer in the vault is a terrible idea or doesn't make sense or does make sense. And there are still some big questions that haven't been answered. Like where's the NCR? Do we see them in the trailer anywhere? Is, is that a thing? Did they forget them? Are they in the show at all? Well, I've got some answers for you, or at least I've got some of my own theories and some potential answers based on some things that I've found, some things that I've found other people have found, and we're going to talk about that today because, well, now's the time. Because once we get another trailer that answers some of these questions, then we'll definitely know. And by April, when the show comes out, we're definitely going to know. So let's get into some of the other details that we didn't discuss last week with our patrons. First of all, there's a question about who the Brotherhood of Steel is fighting in the trailer. There's a scene where Maximus is running and he's with some of these other soldiers in their power armor. There are explosions going off. So right off the bat, we know they are not fighting Yao Guai bears or they're not fighting death claws or something like that. They are fighting a force that uses modern quote. I'm putting that in quotes, modern technology for weapons. Who is this? What is going on with this conflict here? Is this the Enclave? We don't have any hints about the Enclave so far. Is this another Brotherhood faction? Is this a splinter group like we've seen before? Is the Brotherhood fighting against themselves? Is there some sort of internal conflict, a civil war of sorts among members of the Brotherhood? Or is this enemy here the NCR? Are we getting a continuation of the Brotherhood versus NCR war? This is something that was talked about in Fallout New Vegas. It happens before the events of the game. There are characters who remember the war. They were part of the war. So maybe that could be a thing. Now, the other option here are super mutants. Super mutants can, at times, use at least more modern-ish weapons explosives, things like that. We see explosives going off or the other option that uh, I haven't really seen being tossed around very much are raiders or just regular people who happen to have weapons that the brotherhood wants to confiscate. That could be a thing as well. We don't know. We don't know about that, but this does leave speculation for things like the NCR existing. If this is a continuation of that war. Now let's talk about the NCR and this Initial topic is kind of butting up against a few different things, but let's talk about the NCR. Is the NCR going to be a part of this game? Well, technically, according to the timeline, this doesn't happen too much longer than the events of New Vegas. 
The year in Fallout New Vegas is 2281. The year of the TV show, which I believe I got wrong on the last episode. I thought it was 216 years after the bomb dropped. I think it's 219. Is 2296. 15 years between the events of Fallout New Vegas and the TV show. A large organization like the NCR doesn't just evaporate over 15 years. They have to be somewhere. Now, they're... I guess you could say their uh, spread may have been reduced. Maybe they don't hold some of the territory they used to, or maybe they have expanded beyond that. Maybe the organization has evolved and changed, but they're probably still around. And there's definitely going to be people who would have remembered who they were. So my guess is we will see the NCR. Now I've got another reason for guessing this because there are some more, leaked screenshots and I'm uh, I know people are careful about these kinds of things leaked screenshots and all of that we do see in the background of one of the set photos an NCR headquarters sign it actually says New California Republic headquarters so as far as we know the NCR has not been forgotten and they will show up in the in the show in some way Maybe they're just echoes of the past, or maybe they are an active organization that is still working in the wasteland. I have a feeling most of us would rather have the second. We still want the NCR around because they're an interesting group, and there's a lot of cool backstory and and history between them and the Brotherhood and vault dwellers working with them in order to do certain things. So I think we're going to see some NCR stuff. I just, I think it's going to be one of those topics that shows up in the show and doesn't work as well. And as exciting in a teasy teaser, I almost said teasy, a teaser trailer as dudes in power armor and brotherhood of steel stuff going on. Right? So I think that one we can kind of put to bed. So let's go back to the brotherhood discussion Here's a fun little find. In one of the frames of the trailer, there is a symbol of the Brotherhood up on like a pole. You can see it. It's the wings and the sword and the gears. But it's flipped in an orientation which represents the West Coast Brotherhood, not the East Coast Brotherhood. This may be something that you are not aware of, but in the games, the West Coast Brotherhood has the same exact symbol as the East Coast Brotherhood, except that the gears are flipped. The large, there's three gears. The large gear is on the left side, and then the two smaller gears are on the right side for the West Coast. It flips to the large gear being on the right side for the East Coast. And this is for Lion's uh, group in Fallout 3. This is for the group in Appalachia in Fallout 76. This is also for uh, the Brotherhood in Fallout 4. Each of these individual groups have symbols that correlate to the side of the country that they're on. And the gear is closer to the right for the east and closer to the left for the for the west. So the symbol that we see in the background here has a gear on the left side. Now, it is a three dimensional object, so we might just be looking at it from the back side if this is representing the east coast as opposed to the west coast. But maybe not, because the other things in frame in this shot are things like a broken down Nuka-Cola sign up standing up real high, you know, like one of those uh, road, uh, big road signs. Um, So 
Would they have purposely put this in here from the opposite side? Uh, eh, probably not. This looks like something that was intentional. So I think we can probably assume that there is some connection here between the West Coast Brotherhood and the East Coast Brotherhood. On the last episode, I, I talked about how chances are what we're seeing in the Brotherhood sections of this trailer are the East Coast Brotherhood. It's even color graded green as opposed to yellow. But that doesn't mean that the Brotherhood has not reconnected with the other group. In fact, this was something they were trying to do. This was one of the goals of Maxon in Fallout 4 was to go back and claim his rightful place as the elder across the entire Brotherhood, assuming that the West Coast was still there. So the big question is, which Fallout 4 ending is canon? All right, so let's take a look at some of the evidence we have. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that the Pridwin was destroyed. And I think we can know this because of the name of the big ship that we see. We talked about this. The big airship that we see in the trailer is called the Caswenan. Caswenan is the name of a beach. And you're probably going, okay, wait, how does this make any sense? Well, it's because the Pridwin was the name of King Arthur's ship. So in Fallout 4, their headquarters, their main ship, the big airship, is named after King Arthur's ship, his boat. And this comes from like Celtic lore. And there's all these weird names. That's why the name sounds so strange is because it's from the Celtic. It's not an actually English word. So the Pridwin being destroyed means that it would have crashed, right? A ship that crashes goes aground. King Arthur's ship in some of the old mythology, some of the old stories, goes aground on the Caswanan beach. That's the thing that destroys the ship. Now, what if the remnants of the Brotherhood on the East Coast take those pieces and put the ship back together or use some of the parts that remain in order to build a new airship. And then they use that airship to cross the country in order to make it over to the West Coast again. Now, the, another theory would be that somehow these two ships were designed around the same design. And so they had similar names based on the same mythology because they were like sibling ships. But I don't think that makes sense because why would you name one of the ships the ship that King Arthur used and then you would name the other ship the beach that the ship wrecked on. It doesn't make sense unless you have some sort of real world situation where you are naming something after an event that happened. Like, what? this ship is the, the thing that wrecks the other ship. Let's name both of the ships. That doesn't make any sense. What would make sense is this ship wrecked, but we've resurrected it. So now we're going to name it something in memory of the resurrection of the ship. Thus, the Caswenan. There's also more to this because the original name Pridwin in the oldest stories eventually got replaced by the name Gwenin. In some of the stories, King Arthur's ship is called the Gwenin. So if you're going to make two ships at the same time, why not call them the Pridwin and the Gwenin? Because they both represent the same thing. They're both based on the same design on King Arthur's ship using that as a theme for royalty and 
that whole naming structure even goes towards the the concept that Maxon was trying to rule over everything. He was extending his his grip and his control. So that name would have made more sense if there were two ships that were built somehow or two ships built off of the same design. Having something named the Caswenon very, very highly to me indicates the resurrection of the Pridwin or the knowledge that the Pridwin at least was destroyed and they were using that in order to build a second ship somehow. So before we move on from the Brotherhood, there's one more detail I wanted to discuss about them. It's something that if you uh, watched Oxhorn's video where he dissected the trailer, this is something that he brought up. And I think it's a very good point. One of the things that is noted about the Brotherhood in the description of the different groups that is given with the TV series is that they are seeking power. They are seeking to control, to dominate and to protect the wasteland. But there's no mention of them being a tech cult, which is exactly what the Brotherhood is. First and foremost, they are a technology cult. They are the people, and we talked about this on the last episode a little bit. They are the people who believe that they know how to use best the technology that led to the destruction of the world the first time. And they are the ones who think they should be wielding it in order to keep the world safe from that technology, but also to use that technology against the other things that are out there. They are first and foremost a tech cult. They are secondly concerned with the health and safety of the people of the wasteland. And that is only in some situations. Most of the time, they're looking out for themselves first. There are some groups like Lions Group that have a certain sense of willingness and openness to the people of the wasteland to pull people in from outside and to kind of work deals with them in order to manage the, I guess, the cooperative safety of people out in the wastes. That's not always common. And Oxhorn's big point on this was that it doesn't mention that they're a tech cult. It says mostly that they are into this other stuff. So did the show get that wrong? Did they miss the point of who the Brotherhood is? Or, and here would be my counterpoint to that, this group of the Brotherhood has lost their direction. They've gone past the idea of wielding technology and accumulating technology, and they have some sort of new primary objective. Now, does that mean that this is a breakaway group from the original group? Or, like we discussed in the last episode, is this a decision of leadership? Because one of the things that you could say also about the early brotherhood is that they only promoted from within. They rarely, if ever, let anybody into the group from outside who wasn't already a part of that early brotherhood group. But that's not true for the entire timeline of the history of the Brotherhood. By Fallout 3, it's been a significant time period past, and they've lost enough people that Lyons is willing to recruit from the outside. In Fallout 76, there are recruits that come from outside because they are this splinter group with only a limited amount of resources and manpower. And so they do pull from outside. The point here is that primary objectives and ideologies and working plans for how things are supposed to go change based on the scenarios. And maybe that change leads to conflict in the TV show. It may not be that the writers got it wrong. It might be 
that they're setting up a storyline. And I think that's probably the direction this is going in. So coming up after the break, we are going to be discussing the Cyclops Overseer and how that does or doesn't make sense. And Walter Goggins' ghoul character a little bit. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All right. So everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to access hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash falloutlore, expressvpn.com slash falloutlore to learn more. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, welcome to the middle of the show. We've got some new patrons to welcome. Everett, Andrew W., and Nukahead77. Welcome to the Patreon. Thank you for signing up. I'm so glad that you're here. I hope you are enjoying all the different things that you can get from the different tiers, like t-shirts and stickers, ad-free episodes, joining us on future episodes of the show. If you are listening to this going, I'd love to help out the show, and I'd love to get some cool stuff, head over to patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Check out the different things. Look at the designs and things. There's lots of good stuff to get. Uh, we also have to shout out our Sentry Bots, Germinator and Skyroads, and thank you to all 78 of our current patrons. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Also, if you'd like to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I will read it out on a future episode of the show, like these two reviews that came in recently. This one's from Drew901901 in the U.S. who writes, Florida man simps for Fallout. I guess that's me, huh? I have been a listener for a while, but have yet to review. Well, here it is. Uh, this podcast, along with many others on Robots Radio, I hope I got that right. Yeah, you got that right. It's Robots Radio. Uh, helps me get through the work week. Andrew, well, you're welcome, Andrew. Thank you for taking the time to leave that review. Also, this from C11228388883 colon eight colon and signed colon. That is the most complex name I think I've ever read on the show. Uh, amazing podcast. Just found this podcast and have been binging. Thanks, Tom. Well, thank you so much. I'm not going to try and say your name again. Uh, I appreciate that. Also, you can rate the show on Spotify. You can share it with your friends. All of that stuff is extremely helpful, and I appreciate every single person who has even contributed the tiniest little amount to making this show happen. Thank you so very much. All right, let's move on. We've got more to talk about with Cyclops Guy and Walter Goggins, so here we go. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Okay, I'm going to leave Cyclops Guy to the very end because we have to talk about Walter Goggins just a little bit here. So first of all, one of the big questions that has come out that people have noticed, they have seen the pictures of other ghouls. There have been like set photos and people in ghoul suits. Those ghouls look messed up. 
they they look like they've been out in the wasteland for 200 years and uh, the mutation has really you know charred their skin off that kind of thing yeah that's normal like i think we might be looking at a picture of a feral ghoul because if you look at the regular ghouls and then the feral ghouls oftentimes they look a little bit different in the games the feral ones look a little scarier I get it. That totally makes sense for that. Right. But some people have been like, yeah, but look at Walter. His face isn't really that bad. It's kind of okay. I mean, it's not okay. Okay. He's missing a nose. He's got, you know, like his skin looks kind of messed up. He's got kind of that skull shaped face. Like the skin is really thin, but he definitely doesn't look as creepy and weird as some of the old other ghouls that we've seen. So what's the deal? He's been around for like 200 and something years. What wouldn't he look worse? So here's the thing. Two theories on this. First of all, from a meta perspective, he needs to be somebody that we want to look at (laughs) as uh, viewers of a TV show sitting on a couch in an evening after working a long day. If we're going to have a character big in front of our faces on our big TVs, which Lots of people have big TVs now. The character needs to be at least pleasing. They can't be so gross that every time they pop up on screen, everyone goes like, oh, God, that guy again. They have to be kind of a pleasing character to look at. Also, the the way the face looks, they've talked about and Todd Howard even talked about this on one of the interviews. You have to still see Walter underneath it. He has to be able to emote through the the makeup. So we need to get that human quality of him coming through or it wouldn't work. If you piled on more covering on his face, um, if you, if you made him look more messed up, it, it, he's not going to have that same kind of feeling. In fact, they kind of wanted him to be hot was the quote, this idea that like you can see the human underneath still. And he's somebody who isn't terrible to look at, even though he's a ghoul. So I totally get that from like a meta perspective. But what about in the lore? What about in the world of Fallout? How do you get a ghoul that doesn't look as terrible as other ghouls? Well, think about it. We get lots of different ghouls in the games, but they all don't look exactly the same. You have some that have pieces of flesh clearly still feeling off that are so ghoulified that they're glowing and irradiating everybody around them constantly. And we do have instances of non-feral ghouls who glow. That is a thing. The variety of mutation here can be extreme and doesn't always affect everybody in exactly the same way. Maybe he wasn't as destroyed in a like physical way, but he was still irradiated enough in whatever situation he was in in order to ghoulify him. Because the the key component here for being a ghoul is the fact that you are irradiated to a certain point and your body changes fundamentally. Your body works differently. You don't age the same way. You are no longer affected by radiation the same way regular people are. There's not a requirement for how ugly it makes you or how, I don't know, decrepit your skin becomes. Those are subjective details that just depend on the individual and the turmoil that you went through. Some ghouls retain some hair, some don't. Why is that? Well, because their bodies decayed and 
changed in different kind of specific ways. So I don't have a problem with him looking a little bit more handsome, a little bit less destroyed, a little bit less ghoulish than maybe some of the ghouls can look. But I also think that that's a good thing for us as viewers. And I think it gives us a clear understanding of a distinction between him and some of the scarier ghouls that we might see in the wasteland. We as a viewer can look at the two of them and go, okay, they are not the same. This one, you can still see the humanity in them. This other one is some sort of nightmare creature. They're different. And I think that's important, especially for TV viewers. Playing up the idea of, oh, it's a ghoul. Is it is it safe? Is it dangerous? In the video game and having them look more similar, at least early on when you first jump into one of the games and you're not sure what to expect around each corner, that, that plays pretty well. But I think for a TV audience, it needs to be a little bit more clear. This is who this is. They might look a little messed up, but they are still distinctly a person. And so the decisions they make, the kinds of things that they do will be judged on them being a person rather than the potential of them falling apart at any moment, losing their minds and going feral. I think we need to clearly see his character as a specific person with a a slightly different effect to the way he has to live his life, if that makes sense. So, okay, so we've got Walter Goggins. And speaking of mutated creatures, we have that weird, I don't know, people are calling it an oxalotl, the, the monster that shows up with the fingers inside its mouth. There is some speculation. How do you get these kinds of things? Now, we do get these weird combinations of creatures. We see them in many of the games. There are the Snallygasters in Fallout 76. There are the Centaurs in a few of the games. These weird combinations of body parts and things like that. That can happen in, for example, the FEV uh, vault, like vaults. They're not vaults, but the FEV facilities where they're doing uh, research and those kinds of things. But if we're going back over to the West Coast, we cannot rule out the possibility of the remnants of the master and the experiments that the master was doing. Are we seeing the fallout of that? an extra hundred and something years later. Maybe are we going to see the master as a villain? Did he somehow not actually die? Or was there some remnants of him that has mutated back to life in some gross, terrible way or whatever? Maybe, I don't know if that's a great idea, but we might be getting these little pieces of history that kind of point back to the things the master was doing and the connections of the master to the super mutants and, and that stuff. So that might be fun. A little bit of a hint at that. I could just be speculating on that one. But here, let's talk about the Cyclops. Because he is a, I don't know, a really, really hot topic on the internet right now. A lot of people are like, I like everything in the trailer, but this guy needs to die. And stuff like that. Okay, maybe you just don't like the way he looks or something. But I think the the core component and the core problem here is that People are looking at this character and they're going, we've, first of all, never have had a Cyclops before. That's not a kind of thing that we have in the Fallout games. Also, why would the Overseer have some sort of very clear mutation if everybody in this vault has been in this vault since before the bombs dropped and they've been safe? How does that make sense? And I think, again, we as a community are a little bit short-sighted on the possibilities here. One of the explanations, or at least one of the uh, 
comparisons I, I made on social media this week was imagine if we didn't have Harold in the games, the guy with the tree, right? The, the tree coming out of his head and then eventually he becomes a tree. Imagine that didn't exist in the game so far. And then all of a sudden they just showed us a character with a tree growing out of his head in a trailer. Half of the internet would go, what? We've never had a guy with a tree growing up. Why would you have a tree growing here? That doesn't make any sense. What are they doing? Do they even understand how mutation works? Because it's super weird. It is super weird and it only happens with one character. But that's the point. The point is in Fallout games, sometimes you get these weird things that happen to one character and that's okay. But you might be saying, well, he's a vault overseer. He's lived in the vault his whole life. We don't know that. We know very little about this vault. It seems kind of like a 101 type of situation where the vault has been around all this time, probably doesn't open up if ever. But even in Vault 101, we know that people were coming and going from the vault. So there is some potential for people to get irradiated out of the vault and then come back into the vault. Okay, you might make the argument, well, becoming a Cyclops doesn't really feel like something that you would catch as like a radiation thing and then just come back and all of a sudden your two eyes turned into one eye. That doesn't really make sense. But there are other explanations. What if this vault hasn't been closed all the time? What if this vault had an opportunity to bring in people in order to help save them from the wasteland? and then shut its doors, and that population stayed as part of the population of the vault. What if, and this is something that happens in some vaults, there was a leak, there was a door that wasn't fully closed, there was something like that, and so FEV and radiation seeped their ways into the vault, and this is one of the ramifications. In fact, maybe this is one of the things that keeps them in the vault now is because they solved this years ago, but there are now uh, lines and descendants of people in the vault who have these problems, these mutations, because of that situation that played out, I don't know, decades ago. Now, there is another potential here. Let's say none of that happens. There's nothing going on with FEV and radiation that's causing somebody to become a cyclops. You have people who have lived in a vault for 219 years. That is a lot of human generations. If you, if you measure human generations on a 20 year cycle, that is 10 to 11 generations of people, of a limited pool of people living together, procreating, making children, those children making children, those children making children. After a certain amount of time with a limited population, there will be inbreeding. You will start to see some people have problems because of that. And actually one of those things that can occur is cyclopsism. And I don't know if that's the official term for it, but this is something that we've seen in human beings in reality. So the very simple explanation of the vault did what it was supposed to do Human biology just couldn't keep up and keep everybody looking like regular people the whole time could be the explanation. Now, maybe we don't even get an explanation. I don't know. We're going to have to see what the show tells us and how it explains these things. It may leave that as a mystery and something for people to speculate forever. Or maybe it just comes right out and tells us. I guess we're just going to have to find out.
So those are some of my new thoughts on the Fallout TV show. I hope you are enjoying all of the fun speculation. We're going to get more details this week with some of the cast members and some of that. So there'll be a lot more stuff to talk about in the future. But I hope you're also having a wonderful week. And uh, I guess until next time, I don't know, keep your mind open. Let's let's try to be positive and hopeful. And then hopefully the show turns out great, surprises us, and we can all just keep on living our lives, being happy and not creating these weird limitations that people like to do on the Internet about how, well, this is clearly wrong and this doesn't isn't going to work. Oh, and one, one last little thing. There is some speculation that maybe a vault, little vault boy bobblehead was shown somewhere in the trailers. It's like blurry shot. I don't quite see it, but it does look like the right colors for an object like on a desk. I think we're going to get bobbleheads for sure. All right. I'll see you next time. Stay safe out there. Bye, everybody. To plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Reach out to me on Twitter at robots underscore radio. Check out the Robots Radio Rocket Club, where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast, starting a new podcast, or helping your current podcast grow. There's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well. And you can always talk with us and the entire community, over 2,000 people on the Robots Radio Discord. Come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time.